Hello, everyone, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor, thriving with stage four disease, and author of the book that shares the same name of this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me, success stories of people that have been through hard times, and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. I hope you've been able to catch our recent episodes, including one with wellness expert Bree Blank Alexander, who shares how she lost 150 pounds and gained lessons about hard work, determination, and self-love along the way. Or last week's intense episode with Courtney Ram, who shares her deeply personal tell-all about falling for a highly manipulative and dangerous man who led her down a dark, dark path. Now, if you've liked these episodes or others, please tell your friends and do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed. And now for this episode, I'm excited to introduce you to Danielle Desir. She's a three-time author, personal finance writer, and host of the Thought Card podcast. Her passion is to travel and share how she's done this while paying off over $60,000 thousand dollars in student loans, saving for a house, and also working full-time. In today's episode, Danielle takes us down two paths. She provides workable strategies for personal finance, whether you're a newbie or someone who's been saving for a while. She also shares direction for those who just need a break right now or want to travel a little during hard times, especially now with the pandemic. She's a delight and full of valuable information, so grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to introduce you to Danielle Desir. She's a financially savvy traveler, a three-time author, a personal finance writer, host of the Thought Card podcast, and leader founder of WOC Podcasters, which is a community with over 3,500 members from over more than 50 countries, and one of those people is me. And let me tell you, I am excited and nervous that here she is to me, this podcast celebrity, on with us today. She is a recent newlywed, and it's so exciting that she planned her wedding in just a few weeks. And I will tell you, she is so passionate about travel. And truly, many of us think about traveling just being for the rich or people with a lot of money. And Danielle debunks this myth time after time. Her passion is to share how she's traveled extensively, literally 27 countries and four continents, and did this all while paying off student loans, saving for a house, and working full time. Now, Danielle is here today to talk to us about personal finance and traveling during the pandemic and beyond. Danielle, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Karen. It is absolutely a pleasure. I cannot do it. Well, I don't know where to begin. You have so many directions that we can go with this. We know that so many people are, are going through a hard time right now and 
it's, you know, and whatever it might be in life, it, it, there are a lot of things that help keep the light, the light out there for us. And I know for you that it, it is travel. And so that is why today I think there's so many people that, that fills their bucket, let's say. And so I'm excited to hear from you um, both about your travel advice during COVID and also a lot of people are struggling with their finances. And so you are just such an amazing guest. And again, I'm really grateful you're here today with us. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. So I have always had a passion for travel and money. At a really, I would say about three years old, my my mom would actually uh, send me off to Haiti to spend my summers with my grandparents. Um, so if you're not familiar, Haiti is a small Caribbean island. Yeah. And uh, that's where I would learn how to speak Haitian Creole. So I'm fluent in that, the Haitian culture, Haitian language. Um, and I spent all summers there until I was about 15 years old. So it's a very big part of my childhood and of who I am. Now, the personal finance came in uh, through mostly the matriarchs of my family. So my mom is an accountant. She taught me how to save at a really, really young age. I opened up my first retirement account at the age of 15. Wow. Wow. Um, time I was 18 and, and heading off to college, I had already saved $10,000 working at the movie theaters and and uh, that sort of thing. Um, and my grandma, she always knew how to stretch a dollar. And she really taught me how to save primarily and be savvy and just really, really smart. Um, so those are really the the background of like how travel and money uh, played a highlight in my life when I was younger. Uh, but as I became an adult um, and I finished graduate school, I realized that it's really challenging to want to do all of the things like traveling, still having nice things, hanging out with friends, being yeah. a 20 something year old when your finances are limited and you're trying your best to grow your income as well as your career. So I decided to create a blog, which helped me to uh, document how I was feeling, document my tips and advice. And it was really supposed to just be like this, like fun little thing that uh -huh. I did on the side yeah. from time to time. Uh, but when I started talking about my student loan journey, because at the time I had $63,000 of student loan debt and talking about like the tips I've discovered and how I was going about paying it off, uh, a lot of people resonated with that especially in my circle, people weren't really talking about personal finance. They weren't talking about their debt. It was something that was hidden that you kind of complained about it at the dinner table with your friends, uh -huh. but never really talk about details and strategy totally. and all of that. So that's really how I came to be in uh, really combining my travel, my passions for travel, passions for money. It's just simply just trying to figure it all out. Well, that's incredibly impressive. And as most listeners know, I have an 11 year old son to think that in four years from now, like he'll be 15. And what a great thought and advice to start your kids so young when, you know, you like you said, you were working at the movie theater and it's just putting a little bit away, right? Yeah. I, I can't wait as we go on with this conversation to get more of your tips. I I want to 
take a little bit of a turn, but and understand what are your thoughts around the pandemic and how it has affected you, I guess, from a line of work, from a line of travel, personal finances? Yeah. So I think my thoughts on the pandemic and how it has it affected my travel experiences has grown gradually over time. So at the time of this recording, I have actually gone on several road trips, uh, but it took a lot for me to get to yeah. this point where I feel comfortable with traveling during the pandemic. Yes, right. Um, so I would say first and foremost, uh, really assessing your comfortability right now. Um, in the past, like pre-COVID, we would look at you know, shiny magazines and maybe go on Instagram and look at influencers and, and get inspiration there. But there is a threat out there. And I would never encourage anyone to travel unless you are completely and utterly ready uh, for what that outcome is, right? So how we stumbled into traveling again, um, and before I even share that, I wanted to also share that back in December 2019, I actually landed in Wuhan because that was our first trip to China (laughs) last year. We had an incredible 10-day trip to China that we had already booked the year prior. So in December, no one really knew that a pandemic was brewing, but it was was there. Uh, So we actually landed in Wuhan and then we flew uh, out to Beijing and we spent 10 days in China. So when February came about, February, you know, 2020, and we're starting to hear of this pandemic coming from Wuhan, China, my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, are we okay? Like, is everything okay? Like we were literally just there. So a part of me feels spared by God. I really feel like I was spared because there were people um, who said that after the trip that they did feel really, really sick. So I don't know, you know, if, right. if it, anyone got sick or not. But at the end of the day, I was in Wuhan in December when things were happening. So here we are today. So it took me a really long time to really grasp, like, am I ready to go out there? However, what my husband and I decided to do is that we decided to do a weekly challenge. So at the time, we were both home and things were starting to open up in Connecticut a little bit more. So we said as a way for us to spend more time with each other, explore the outdoors, and also for me to get a little bit more ex- you know, exposure and be out there in the world because he's an essential worker. So nothing has changed for him. And he pretty much had to adapt by necessity compared okay. to me. I've been working from home since right. March. So we made a weekly challenge where we would do one activity in our local area every single week. So the first activity we did was going to a beach in one of our local areas, like a couple towns over. And we practiced with our masks. We read the website. Like we kind of like got all, you know, all the information you need to do before we actually go out there. We packed, you know, sanitizers and all that good stuff. Uh, But that's how we ease back into going back out there. So every single week we had one activity to look forward to. So other activities we did were like hiking. We found a hiking trail. Um, We went on extended long walks with our dog. Then we 
you know, moved gradually into, okay, we visited a winery. Okay. We, we went to a brewery. Okay. Went to a restaurant. So every week we did something that pushed us outside of the home. And I'm really grateful for that challenge because it allowed me to acclimate to our quote unquote new normal and to see how others behave out there in the world, like in my local area. And also for me to adjust because when you're out there, anyone could cough at any time. Anyone could sneeze at any time. You know, someone may come a little bit closer to you than you want. So when you're out in public, all bets are off. Anything could happen. So being out there really helped me to build up my confidence to say, okay, I've done this enough where I feel like, let me see if traveling right now, uh, I can take that next step. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention is that we made a decision that we were not going to fly um, or take uh, the plane or cruises to travel until we felt comfortable enough. So that's a decision that we made within our family. Um, so from time to time, we do check in with each other. Like, how are you feeling? Are you feeling okay? Are you not feeling yeah. okay? Uh, but we did kind of put some rules, uh, rules up so that we kind of knew what to look out for. Um, and when we were ready to start actually traveling again, we thought about, okay, uh, how far do we want to go for our first adventure? And we figured that within four hours, driving distance felt really comfortable to us because we could do it in one sitting. We wouldn't have to necessarily stop at gas stations or certain things like that. So four hours has become like our staple for local road trips. Uh, a couple of years ago, while driving to Canada, I fell in love with the Green Mountain State, Vermont, uh-huh. driving there. So that actually became the first place that we considered uh, a trip to. Now, there are a few things that I want to mention about actually planning a trip during the pandemic. If you have an employer and you work nine to five, there are many employers who have travel advisories and policies right now. And both of our employers have policies that tell you states that are considered high risk or highly affected states. And if you go to those states, you may you may have to self-quarantine without pay. So before we ever leave our home to go on any type of uh, trip during the pandemic, we always look to see, number one, what is our workplace travel policy says, because we cannot afford to lose out on pay for trips because we wanted to go and have fun, right? So that number one is a one parameter that we will check. Um, And then we do some we do some, I would say not extensive research, but we definitely check the tourism boards okay. of the states that we want to visit. So the tourism boards are set up in each state to help promote tourism, keep you know visitors aware of what's going on. So we always look at the tourism boards to see, generally speaking, what phases there are, right. because every state has different phases. So for example, Connecticut, In July and August, we were at phase three, which meant we had about 75% capacity. And now we're at 50% capacity because we kind of reverted back to phase 2.1. So really keeping up to date with what's going on in that state, if you have to be aware of anything, has been super helpful. And because we have working cars, we're like, okay, we're just going to take our cars, make sure we have a good, you know, full tank of gas, we did our oil changes, and then we drive up. Uh, the last thing, because I know I'm going on a bit. <laughs> a bit I love it. Here, 
Uh, but the last thing is that we've discovered that our travel styles have changed dramatically uh-huh. during the pandemic. Before pre-pandemic, we would go to large cities, we would be flying, of course, and we we're all about things to do, top 10 lists and crossing things off. Now we're more looking at rural destinations, small cities, quaint towns, farmlands with yeah. lots of lots of open spaces and greenery. Uh, so that has really shifted the way we travel. Now, one of the first trips that I did was to Salisbury, actually Shaftesbury, Vermont. And it was because I was actually looking at Lake Placid and Lake George, New York. And those are, you know, larger destinations. Right, right. But in Airbnb, I saw that there was this beautiful cabin. And it was about an hour away from Lake Placid and Lake George. But the cabin looked picturesque, so much open space out in the countryside. So we decided to pick the destination like uh, based off of our Airbnb. So actually, that's actually how now we travel. We go on Airbnb since that's our preferred choice. We prefer Airbnbs or hotels right now. We look at general destinations or general states and see what are the Airbnb accommodations that really captivate us? Because we're probably going to stay in a lot. Yeah. We pick a place based off of where we're staying. Um, and then we go out and look for things to do around that area, which is 100% different from what we used to do. We used to pick up city or Airbnb and then find things. We pick an accommodation. We find things to do around that area. And we really enjoy the Airbnb more. We stay indoors. We have fun. um, And that has changed. So I'm a really big for those rural, uh, outdoorsy, um, small towns within four, four hours away from home. Well, there's so many different directions I want to go with this. I did listen to a podcast episode that you and Kyle, your husband, did together where you mentioned that you're basically what you just said, that things have changed in terms of uh, your interest in travel now. And the Airbnb, you brought up a great point for those people who are looking to just not that travel, not looking at travel as a luxury so much, but looking as travel as getting out of your own house. Like maybe you need a break from the day to day. And I would think that going into an Airbnb that's just a few hours away from your home gets you out of your own space, gets you into this headspace of, ooh, I'm on vacation, so I'm going to be doing some activities I don't normally do, even if they are very, you know, you're staying home in an Airbnb or giving yourself the opportunity to be outside in the fresh air where there's not a lot of people there. You know, to me, that sounds like a beautiful thing. And as somebody with a compromised immunity, I haven't traveled. I actually, as we're talking, am writing down that I love the idea of doing a weekly local challenge because for people that aren't ready to travel yet or don't, you know, don't have the money to travel, whatever your reason for being, um, for not traveling could be, I think my opinion is that everybody in the world is going through a hard time and to be able to give yourself you know, I would call them wellness breaks or give yourself a little bit of break in a new setting could be really healing. And so I am telling you, I will check in with you in a few weeks and let you know where our first weekly challenge is. 
but to get my son and my family involved to tour something semi-local, I think would be a good thing. And I'll tell you, I did that years ago. I was a little House in the Prairie fan. I don't know if you ever, you know, watched reruns of that show or, or, or read the books when you were a kid. But uh, in my 20s, I ended up traveling to Mankato, which was, uh, and Walnut Grove, where Laura Ingalls lived, with a group of my 20-year-old girlfriends just because we wanted to road trip. And, you know, we were in our 20s and we probably had, you know, work a day or two later. And it was really fun. Was it exotic? No. It was a, a more rural community, a small city. But it was pretty cool to get out of our norm. And then, of course, like I said, I loved Laura Ingalls Wilder. And so I got to see some of the areas where she was, you know, living her life back then. So thank you. You provide you provided me a lot of insight and hopefully with some others as well. I'd like to take a little bit of a, a left turn here and talk about personal finance. If you're willing to dig a little deeper with us and tell us about, you said you paid off $63,000 worth of student loans while you were also traveling a little bit and, you know, being happy. How do you take on something of that magnitude and not be miserable through it all? Yes, that is a wonderful question. And I think it all really comes down to your vision for what your life is going to look like and be. So whenever I make a goal, and a lot of my goals are pretty big. So I had paying off my student loan debt as a goal. Now my goal is to pay off my mortgage uh, and buy a, a rental property. So whenever I pick a goal, it's not a goal that I pick because a financial guru says I need to pick this goal or something that my mom said for me to do or a family member. It's really something that's in me. And how I know that this is something I'm passionate about is that I can visualize that goal. I can see me accomplishing that goal down the road and at the finish line. So that's how I know that's intrinsic in me. And that's something that I'm going to be willing and wanting to do days, weeks, months, and years later. If you don't have that conviction, it's going to be easy for you to get discouraged, which you do, by the way. You do get yeah. discouraged along your financial journeys, uh, but it's easy for you to just say, you know what, give it up. Like you just kind of toss it aside and you just actually don't keep on moving. So having that conviction and being able to visualize my future was really helpful. Um, secondly, I also made a decision as to, okay, if I'm going to commit my being and my finances to this goal, I have to have at least something for myself so that I can keep my sanity. Okay. So I'm not about just like depriving yourself for eons without having something to look forward to, which is why travel has always been that beacon of hope and light for me. Because that was that that was the one thing that I had on the side that I was still safe for, even if it was a small amount, despite me paying off my student loan debt. So if I wanted to go on a trip or if I want to celebrate a milestone on my debt journey, I had something to look forward to. So whatever that is for you, pick one or two things that you want to still stick to, despite whatever payoff journey or saving journey that you're on. For me, it was travel. 
And it would always be travel because that is a priority in my life. Now, coming more to like practical strategies, the thing about student loans and debt in general, it could be a mortgage debt or a credit card debt, whatever debt you have, is really being keen on your interest because their principal is how much you originally borrowed from your lender. But what really gets us is the interest. It's that money that you have to pay because you owe the lender. Like it's that money that you pay to, to have this transaction and have this money on hand. What I realized is that when you actually take your monthly interest and you divide it by 30 days to make it into a daily interest, that number lights a fire in me. Because you can say, oh, I have, I owe $300 in my student loan interest for the month. But that's just like $300. But when you break it down to $10 a day, you're like, whoa, $10 interest a day is like so much. It, it feels like so much. Yeah. So I love to look at my interest and in a daily format so I could see, okay, am I okay with this? Do I want to pay this lender $10.10 a day or is this crazy? Um, so I use my student loan daily interest as like a as a benchmark to see how I'm doing. And as you pay off your debt, your daily interest goes down. So over time, I saw it go from $10 uh-huh. to nine, to eight, to seven, to five, to one. So for me, that became my marker of how I would track my, my debt. Now, in terms of how I actually paid off so much money, there are different strategies that I like to use. And it all comes down to your personal style of debt repayment. I'm the kind of person that I thrive off of quick financial wins, which means that I need to get a couple of wins in me before I can really commit to this huge goal of paying 63000 Oh, yeah. So I hear you. Like, yeah, it started off as like the $500 loans and the $1,000 loans and the $2,000 loans. So I did all the small loans first, which is not technically mathematically always the smart thing to do. Because mathematically, you want to go for the highest interest first. You want to bang those out first. But sometimes those are huge amounts. Yeah. And you're spending years on that. Like, I have I have no, no victory in sight. So for me, I flipped it around and I said, I need to know what Danielle prefers. Danielle prefers quick wins for her to feel good so she can use that to ride the wave to the bigger goals. So I, I tackled my smaller ones first. And then I, you know, built up to paying the larger loans because I had actually a couple of loans built into that $63,000. The other thing that I liked to do is I would actually uh, save up money on the side. So I would save up, let's say, $5,000 over time and have it in a pot just sitting there. And once I would reach that $5,000 goal, I would throw that entire $5,000 pot and pay off a portion of my debt at once. Now, this goes back to me being a quick wins type of gal. I knew that if I saved up money over months, you know, in a pot and I made a big payment, it would gradually, it would like really drastically reduce my loan amount and drastically reduce my interest amount as well. So that's one of the ways that I also paid once I approach, but I also did a lot of like saving big chunks of money and just throwing it all at once. Because for me, again, that really helps me to feel like, oh, $5,000 is not a small feat. You know, it's a lot of money. So you're like throwing it at it, 
And I felt really, really good doing that. So I think my biggest advice for those who want to pay off debt or even save money is making sure that you are doing it for the right reasons. It's intrinsic in you, something that you truly want to do. Uh, visualizing your success is really, really important. Um, two, if it's regarding debt, look at that daily amount, like that daily interest amount. Is that a number that you feel like is you're okay with it or is it worth your, it's going to light a fire in you? Um, and then lastly, if you can um, determine if you want to you know, tackle the high interest loans first or if you rather go for the quick wins to build the momentum. Um, so those are my three overall tips for student loan debt. Are there any tools that you use? I remember years ago, I used Microsoft Money and it was like a, a digital checkbook, but then you could see I spent this amount uh, on this category. Is there anything that you recommend that you like that's user-friendly? So funny enough, I'm still an Excel spreadsheet person, like, and it's an Excel spreadsheet that I created years ago that I still use to this day. Uh, but I know that there are people who use YNAB. So it's called You Need a Money. So the acronym is YNAB. Um, so that's one. Uh, Wait, also, say that again. You sure. need money? Yes you, yes. you need a budget. You need a budget. And so it's Y N. A, B, YNAB. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So a lot of people recommend YNAB as a budgeting tool. I know people who use Mint um, as a budgeting tool as well. Um, there's also Tiller, Tiller Money, T-I-L-L-E-R Money. So there are lots of different apps out there, but you have to be committed to the learning curve, learn the system to learn their software. Uh, and for me, I just prefer Excel spreadsheet. Now, my way of budgeting is a little bit different because now at this point, I only really manage my uh, bills. So I have a bill tracker um, and my bills are very consistent over the past couple of years. So I have all my bills in an Excel spreadsheet. I have the due dates for them. And I just pretty much like a checklist. I kind of go down the list and I check off all the different bills I need to pay. Um, and that works for me because I also automate my savings. So because I have an employer, I have a bunch of different saving pots that I have already predetermined. And they go automatically from my paycheck to that savings account. So when I'm thinking about my finances, all I have to do is manually check that all my bills are paid. I don't necessarily have to be taking keeping an eye on my uh, savings because all of that's being done in the back end automatically. Oh, that is, I think that would be key for, at least for me, is if it's automatically being deposited into another account, then I, I look at my paycheck and I see this is what I have to spend on my bills or on whatever it might be. And then everything else is going to, like you said, the savings pot. Yes, exactly. Now, can you give us some thoughts about now with the economy being, well, I'll just say shaky, and a lot of people are losing jobs or having pay cuts or not getting as much work, is there any advice that you can give for people in, that are going through that type of financial hardship right now? Yes. Um, I think that the pandemic has, has really brought to light how important having multiple income streams is. And it's so, so, so important um, 
just having one income stream, if that income stream ends up drying out, then it really leaves you in a vulnerable position. So I'm a really big advocate of creating multiple income streams. Um, so that can be uh, something maybe that you do at home so that you're not you know, out there exposed. It doesn't have to be Uber or Lyft driver, but there are lots of at-home opportunities that you can do. If you're creative, you can start a blog, you can start a YouTube channel, you can start a podcast. These are all opportunities um, that offer you know, opportunities for you to make money. Not necessarily quick money, but there are opportunities out there. And so that's part one, uh, you know, adding income streams there. Um, and for like my family, for my husband and I, uh, my husband, he does uh, personal training as his side hustle. He does like boxing and things like that. And when things started to reopen again, we knew that this was like kind of the grind time because if he's working with clients and it's based off of, uh, you know, being able to serve them in person, then if things close down, that may not be an option anymore. So right now we're both at the point where we're like, we're trying to take up as much much work as we can um, so that we can save as much as possible. So saving has been a really big priority for my family and I for the future because then you never know what, what could happen. Um, layoffs are really prominent right now. Um, and even if you think you're stable, you never know. So right. income is really right. important. Um, finding some income streams um, that makes sense to you that you can do is number one. Saving um, as much as you can is um, number two. Um, I actually have uh, two different savings accounts. Uh, one saving account is for general emergencies. So that's emergency fund. Um, it's recommended to have between six to 12 months of savings. Which I know is a lot, it's a lot to save. Um, for living expenses for just in case something happens. But I try to just be consistent and just throw some money at that account whenever I can, even if I'm not at that 12-month goal of saving. Uh, the other account I have, a savings account, is as a homeowner. It's very scary as a homeowner right now because, again, if you miss a couple payments, there you go. Your whole investment is like, you know, up up for foreclosure. So what we do is we have a savings account just for our home, for our home emergencies. Uh, if anything pops up, like, you know, a baseball flies through our window yeah. or the, you know, the faucet starts to leak, we have um, a pot of money there. I would say at least a thousand dollars is a good place to be just in case. Um, a lot of times what I have found when you have less than a thousand dollars in your savings account, any major catastrophe brings you back down to zero. Like anything that costs a thousand dollars will bring you down to zero. So having a little bit above that just helps to make you feel like, okay, I'm not completely down to zero if anything, anything happens. So I think, I think really having savings account, prioritizing saving right now as much as possible. And the good news is that because a lot of us are sheltering in place and not really, it's about to be winter. So I, I am sure activities are going to kind of slow down. This offers opportunity for you to maybe save on like dining out or save on movies or shopping, you know, all that, all those things could, could turn into new savings. This is, I'm honestly taking a lot of notes here. This, you give amazing tips and while I'm sure they're not simple, I think they're ways that we can, you know, my family, we can sit down as a family and decide 
how do we want to tackle this? And in taking small steps, that's always been, call it my mantra with pretty wellness. It's all about taking small steps towards better health and happiness. And what would your small step be for people when it comes to personal finance, knowing that some people just haven't even tackled it at all? Yes, I would say putting on your calendar a weekly money date with yourself and your family or your family, you and your family. So I love to have money dates every single week on Sundays. Sundays are more quiet, not many errands. Hopefully you're not running that many errands. And I like to have about 30 minutes on the calendar, 30 to 45 minutes on the calendar in the morning so that if there's something that I need to take action on and do, I'm able to go and do it. You don't want to look at your finances at night because then you, you know, something is wrong. You're going to spend all night worrying about it, right? So you want to do it in the morning. I like to have it with a cup of coffee or some tea, make it a a very casual experience. Um, So I think having something that you can look forward to every single week brings a consistency habit. And it's just one small step. Um, When I sit down and do my money dates and my money check-ins, what I do is I go through my list of bills that I have to pay, make sure all those bills are paid. Secondly, I do a quick sweep of all my bank accounts to make sure that, you know, nothing looks crazy. Everything is on track. And then if there's anything I need to be thinking about for the weeks ahead or the months ahead, or if I need to pivot a goal or something like that or switch gears, I make that mental note to uh, handle that as well. So I think creating a, a weekly practice even if it's just 20 to 30 minutes every week where you just take dedicated time and look at your finances can, you know, overall improve your financial outlook. And a lot of our finances is mental. A lot of times we are afraid about looking at our bank account. We don't want to see what's in there. Right. So there's a lot of mental gymnastics, but I challenge you to put time on your calendar, commit to spending some time looking at your finances and taking action, taking the next step um, when you need to. I am speechless because everything you're saying right now has been what I have done with money. I do the bills right before bed. And then, like you said, mental gymnastics all night because after nine o'clock, even Pacific time typically isn't open. And so I'm going to, I love this idea. I'm all about Sunday resets uh, planning, meal planning for the week. And I haven't done this with money. And this is a great, great idea. And especially like I, I've said a few times as a parent, I would like to, uh, I always do say that I've made some financial decisions in my life that aren't necessarily smart ones. I stand behind them because, uh, because I do, but I want to do better for my child. And I want mm-hmm. him to the way you talk, I'm I'm sure your family is so proud, knowing also that they valued, you said, I think your mother was an accountant, but I I think you've so many bright and smart strategies in terms of your approach towards personal finance and also fun and, and informational ones about travel too. So I am incredibly grateful that you and I connected through the podcasting world and that you are turning the tables a little bit and being my podcast guest. So 
On that note, uh, everybody who's listened to this podcast knows that I end each episode with what I call the grateful game. And um, for those of you who are new to me, and Danielle as well, this is a game that my son and I, we'll call it created, that we do most nights before bed. Basically, I truly believe that positivity can help fuel me and my family. And we know through studies that when you look out in the world and you have a grateful mindset, an attitude of gratitude, call it, that it tends to help people heal and to find more joy in their life. And so our grateful game literally is we set an amount of time. For us, I say 30 seconds each. And then we list what we're grateful for and why. Now, most of the time with my family and even with the guests, it's not the big stuff. I am so grateful for that I am thriving with stage four cancer. I am so grateful that I have an amazing husband and child and extended family and such. Uh, what I, I want my son to do, and, and even me, is to look out in the world and like, what are the little things that we're grateful for? Because sometimes when when you have a bad day, it's hard to find find the good things. And for me, tapping into the little things in life has helped. So I am asking, would you be willing to play the grateful game with me? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So I will say 30 seconds for both of us and I will kick it off and I'll say today, what I am grateful for is that before I got on this call with you, I opened up this standing desk. It's actually a computer um, stand that goes from sitting to standing. And so this is my first podcast interview where I'm using it. Hopefully the audio sounds okay because of it. But I'm so excited because, you know, as a speaker, I'm always standing and using my hands and I love it. And it's obviously a, a bit healthier than to be sitting all day. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. And number two, I'm grateful for um, this bag. I'm looking at it right now in my office right now that my friend Susan gave me for my birthday this summer. And it's one of those bags that's so comfortable on your shoulder, whether you're running up and down the stairs uh, bringing books that I might need from upstairs to downstairs or not. I, I love it. And it really does make my life a little easier. Throwing the dog toys, throwing the kids stuff, throwing my computer, um, in and out the door quickly. So that was, I'll say 45 seconds. So I will give you just to be fair here an equal 45. So I am tossing the mic to you. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm grateful for the ability to still go on walks with my dog without the snow yes. <laughs> and the utter cold, yes, the sheer yes, cold. Yes. So I definitely am going to um, take my dog out for a walk this morning and another walk this afternoon. Just again, enjoying. I really do enjoy the fresh air and the change of scenery, even if it's my neighborhood, my, my block. So that's really helpful. Um, also this morning, I, I'm actually writing a book for National Novel Writing Month. And, um, really excited. Um, so if, if folks are not aware, it's like a, it's a 30-day challenge for the uh -huh. month of November where you write um, over 1,666 words for every day for the month. Um, and at the end, you'll have a 50,000-word manuscript. So my books are never that long. Um, I prefer short reads. Uh, but still, I devote this, the entire month to my my book writing projects. So this morning 
Um, I woke up at 6.30 and I didn't necessarily feel like, you know, typing and sitting in front of my computer like I usually do. So I just snuggled in bed with my laptop and I just wrote out um, about 600 words uh, before our chat. So that was really good. And um, my friend, one of my uh, writing friends joined us, joined me. So we kind of like had Zoom in the background and we just knew that we were there with each other. And we were just, you know, writing our own books. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for having folks who are there to support, there to encourage, um, to be there and physically be there in spirit. Um, and I'm also really thankful for just the the ability to wake up and to be bright eyed and bushy tailed and and be able to write uh you know, a few thousand, a few hundred words or a few thousand words a day. So I'm really grateful for those two things. Well, I love that you won because you had more than me, but it doesn't matter because in the game of <laughs> life, right, we all win when we're thinking of the, the, the things, the people, items that we're grateful for. So thank you for playing. But on sidebar, I love that idea of having the Zoom or the FaceTime on while you're doing something that you might be doing. If you're a person who likes company, and I'm going to try that. I do a little bit of working with uh, my, my best friend is also an entrepreneur. And so we do conference calls and brainstorming sessions and things where we're often working but communicating, not so much working in tandem. So I think that for, for people who like that type of energy, I think that's awesome. And can you give us a little information about the book? Yes. Well, the book is in line with everything we talked about today. So the title of it is Planning Local Adventures During a Pandemic. Um, it drops actually January 15th, but okay. it's available pre-order right now. January 15th. I saw that on Amazon. That's Yes. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that because like I mentioned before, there's just a lot of questions about how to go about traveling right now. Um, and I thought that, especially cause I learned so much by again, going out there, the weekly challenges, like I mentioned, right. and all those other just like small little tips that can help. So just really putting it all in, in one place for folks to, uh, folks to read. Now, the other thing that my friends did tell me to mention also is that like, yes, pen, you know, this is our first pandemic. Uh, a lot of us are, this is the first time we're facing a pandemic, but there are other things that prevent us from traveling uh, abroad or right. far. So it could be forest fires or volcano eruption or things like that, which may kind of force us to travel more locally. So I'm really hoping that, of course, this is definitely for the pandemic, but in a broader picture, when there is a crisis and we need to kind of be agile and nimble, that this book will definitely help us to do that. Well, January 15th. Although yes. pre-sale, pre-sale now, but that, that's amazing. So, yes. and, and I love the fact that you're using this month of November to wake up every morning or every day and, and to be able to write. And so it's fresh and, you know, fresh in your mind and then it'll be dropped in the middle of January. So congratulations, congratulations. That's great. And thank you again. Your insight has been really helpful to me personally and, and professionally and, and to all the listeners out there, I'm sure you cover so many thoughtful, interesting, and your, your handle is the thought card and your title of, of your podcast is the thought card. Very thoughtful information. So can you tell us where everybody can connect with you? 
Absolutely. Thank you again for having me, Karen. This really meant a lot to chat with you today. You can head over to danielledesire.com if you want to keep in touch with my author writing and updates. Um, All of my books are on that website, danielledesire.com. For my travel blog, it's thoughtcard.com. And uh, my podcast is the Thought Card Podcast. Again, we're focusing on affordable travel, paying down debt, and building wealth. And on social media, I'm at the Thought Card on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So I would love to connect with you and um, just continue to see how things go. Well, thanks again. I'm sending you a big virtual hug. And to all the listeners, thank you for joining us as always. This fills my bucket so much and hopefully in providing inspirational stories and information, it fills all of your buckets as well. So have a great day, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to leave you with a quick thought, but first a request. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And tell your friends about us too. If you love us, they might as well. And now, my parting words of the week. We play the grateful game at the end of each episode and here's why. After my second diagnosis, I started to research who was thriving with cancer and what they were doing to be well. I learned that wellness is about consistent self-care, creating everyday practices that help improve your body and mind toward a state of good health. And for me, focusing on gratitude brings tremendous positive energy into my life. This is why my son and I play the grateful game most nights. If nothing else, it brings a smile to our faces. And I play with all the guests at the end of each episode, not only to put a smile on their face, but to encourage all of you, the listeners, to play as well. And if you do, please let me know. Connect with us at Pretty Wellness on Instagram. And hey, we will share your message if you want us to. Now, thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now, everyone. <music>